Hey, good morning. Thank you for joining us for a recent sermon from Harvest Baptist Church. I'm Mark Likens. I'm the lead pastor here at Harvest. We're a Bible-believing, gospel-centered, grace-driven church family right here in Atrona Heights, Pennsylvania. And if you'd like to learn more about our ministry, you can visit us on Facebook or at harvestbaptist.info. Now, I hope you enjoyed today's sermon. It's my prayer that this will encourage and equip you in your relationship with God. Today, we get to look at the very last few verses of Ruth chapter number four. And I just want us to see what a Redeemer can do. When we left this story, uh, the Redeemer had just stepped onto the stage. Boaz stepped up and said, I will be there. I will redeem you. I will take you. And he does redeem them. He buys the land. He marries Ruth. Naomi now has this new son-in-law to care for her and to help. And you fast forward now, and when you come from verse 12 to verse 13, nine months at least have transpired. And I want you to see what happened at the end of the story. A few things they get from their Redeemer. First thing they got is a family. Look at verse number uh, 13. It says this. So Boaz took Ruth after this announcement that she's my wife. I love her. I'm proud of her. I'm marrying her. I'm redeeming her. He takes Ruth and she was his wife. And he went in, it says, unto her, and the Lord gave her conception and she bare a son. Now chapter 2, when Boaz first saw Ruth in the field working with her hair up in a messy bun, it was not the time for this. It was not the time to go in unto her and to consummate the marriage or to have children. Sexual activity was not the time then. In chapter 3, where she snuggled up next to him late at night and said, marry me, was not the time for it. But now, this is the time. This is, this is the rhythm of the Bible. It's, it's uniform from cover to cover. You get married, then sexual activity. And sexual activity is from the Lord. We're sexual creatures. That is a beautiful thing. That is a gift. That is, that is something that, is, that should be life-giving, that should be fun, that should be a blessing to the marriage. But there is an order. And Boaz gets this, and he gets the order spot on. And he finds out that this is a life-giving thing, not just figuratively speaking, but literally it's life-giving because she conceives. And all of a sudden, here comes a new life into the world, this little boy, this son that is being born. Now, almost any commentator or theologian that you'll read on this passage will tell you that you should read this verse against the backdrop of Ruth's previous marriage with Malon. We don't know a ton about that marriage, but we saw it in chapter 1. Before her previous husband, Malon, died, we know that they were in Moab, and the total span of the family time in Moab was 10 years. We know that they took wives, both the boys did, and then they died, and then they moved back. And we don't know exactly how long they were married. Maybe Ruth and, Ma and Malon were married for a decade. Maybe they were married for eight years. Maybe they were married for 12 months. I don't know for sure. No one does. But almost any commentator will tell you that we can say relatively certainly that once in that day and age you got married young, and once you got married, you wanted to have children. That was a sign of the blessing of the Lord, and that was kind of the primary goal. You wanted children. You can see that all through Scripture, that you want children, you want children. We'll even see in a minute in the text that they talk about seven sons. Seven sons was the ideal Israelite family, that you would have so many children that you would have at least seven sons. This is why Isaac is, is so blessed to be able to have 12 sons that make up the 12 tribes of Israel. And while you may not want seven sons, and that's fine if you don't, uh, it, was, it was very, very normative to want and desire children. And we know that Ruth did not have children. Now, was she barren 
I cannot say for sure, but it is highly plausible that there was something going on and there was some infertility and there was some barrenness with Ruth. And so when she gets married to Boaz, the women, if you remember last week, they pray over her. And they pray that the Lord would give her at least a child, if not multiple children, and that he would bless them and that this child would be brought forth. And I wanted to take an opportunity to swing over and just to give you a couple thoughts on infertility. And the reason I do this is because this is something that comes across my plate pastorally with you, with members of our church, on a relatively consistent basis. Whether it's someone who maybe they're not dealing with infertility, but they are wanting and desiring children and they're reaching that stage. Whether it's someone that's looking, you know, when's the right time and trying to have the, the right wisdom there. And oftentimes, even people that, that want children, but it just doesn't seem to happen how they want it to. And I want to give you a couple of biblical thoughts. So first of all, is children are a blessing. That's in, that's in Ruth for sure. But you're going to see that this child being born is viewed as a celebration and a communal expression of praise and glory to God that children have come. Psalm says that children are an heritage of the Lord. Children are a blessing. They're an inheritance from God, and they should be viewed that way. When my firstborn came, although I was scared out of my mind, I was excited and I was scared, but, you know, you're getting into parenthood for the first time, and you just... You just don't know so much, and I still don't know so much. I feel like by the time my last kid gets out of the house, I will have learned it good enough to, to maybe be able to do something decent. But uh, he's coming, right? And that child is born, and he's a blessing. Eight years later now, he's a blessing. When the second child came, Willow was a blessing. When the third child came, Cruz, he was a blessing. When Deacon came, not so much of a blessing, but Deacon, no, I'm just kidding. He was a blessing. He's great. I, I mean, that kid is so much fun right now. He's a blessing. We had just a couple weeks ago, 10 of you families were part of our baby dedication where we lined up this stage with 10 families and 10 little babies over the last few months that have been born into our church. Those children are a blessing. This week, we had another new little baby, Eliana, born into our church to Jerica and Misael. That child is a blessing. Children are blessings. All, I'll say this, all children are blessings. I don't know where we came up with the idea that having children was somehow like picking out a bunch of bananas at the grocery store. Where, mm, too ripe, mm, not ripe enough, a mm, little bruise on that, nah, I'll throw that one to the side and I'll, I'll, get a, I'll get a different set of bananas. Well, somehow we started doing this in our society. You know, we want children or maybe we don't want children. Hey, I'm, I'm pregnant, there's a child, a blessing from the Lord. Mm, not inconvenient, bad time, abortion. I'm pregnant. I do want a child, but I, I really want a boy. Oh, what's, what's the gender? What, what does it say on the ultrasound? Girl, oh, no, uh, abort that child. I want a boy. I do want a child, but I, I don't know. The genetics, the genetics say that it's not, you know, it's not a perfect genetic match. They're telling me there may be a 30% chance that there could be something, you know, some sort of mental impairment that comes, and the genetics are saying this. Well, maybe we should just discard that one and go with another one. That's nuts. That's nuts. Children are a blessing. It's a shame to our society when Walmart has more common sense than most of us do. I was at Walmart the other day checking out, and right on the, right on the edge, there were these T-shirts. They were black, and I'm sure behind them there were probably some T-shirts that were really dumb or something. Um, but th these ones were great. They were black, and they had a little puzzle piece. It caught my attention, this puzzle piece, and the puzzle piece was real colorful. And I don't remember exactly what it said, but it said something like, we need all the pieces of the puzzle. And, what, and then it had under it uh, some sort of hashtag about autism. 
It was a shirt to indicate that even the autistic children have a place in our society and they shouldn't be discarded. And I thought, good on you, whoever made that shirt. Thanks, Walmart, for putting it out. And if, and if you're in the room and, and there's the past of, I did have an abortion or I did do this wrong or those sorts of things, I don't want to, heal, I don't want to heap extra guilt on you this morning. That's not my goal at all. There's grace and there's forgiveness, and I, I, don't, I don't want that to be heavy in that way. I, I don't. That's not my intention. But it is my intention to say what the Bible says. Children are a blessing. Children are a blessing. All of them. All of them are. Second thing is God opens the womb. All through the Bible you see this. You find that Sarah, wife of Abraham, barren, but God opened her womb. Rebecca, wife of Isaac, barren, God opened the womb. Uh, Rachel, Jacob's wife, opened the womb. Samson's mother, uh, Hannah. You'd find John the Baptist, his mom was barren. You probably have that here with Ruth. All through the Bible, you find that God is the one that opens the womb, and he opens the womb in his time. And never, if you're in this boat and you're wrestling with some of these things and wanting children but not being able to have them, uh, never assume that God's delays are God's denials. Sometimes it's just a delay. Sometimes he's saying no for whatever reason he may have, and I don't understand all of that. But never, never interpret that as his outright denial just because it's his delay. The third thing is, and this is important, leverage the power of prayer. If you want to have children, leverage the power of prayer. You find this in Ruth. They pray that God would open up the womb, that he would give at least a child, and wouldn't you know it, God does. Pray. God should not be your last resort. He should be your first mention. There's a place for medicine, and we'll look at that here in just a minute. But pray. Satan can't stop God from answering prayers, but he can try to stop you from praying on them. And when you are in this boat, sometimes if you're not careful, it will be something that is very personal, it's very emotionally heavy, it, it's, it's very uh, tender to even open up with someone, even your family and those closest to you. Oftentimes it's tough to open up to your group or to your, your siblings or to your mom or your dad or those sorts of things. And if you have good Christian people around you that want to pray for you and you feel like your heart can trust in them a little bit, ask them to pray. If you're not careful in those moments, you will neglect to rejoice with those who rejoice or you'll feel like it's an impossibility. And Ruth is this woman who the Lord, in his timing, sees fit, presumably that wasn't before, even though she wanted it. And I'm sure there were people around Ruth in this community that wanted children as well, but they were willing to pray for her and rejoice when all of a sudden God gives them a son. But also God gives them not just a family, but they got filled. Look at verse 14. The woman said to Naomi, or women, plural, blessed be the Lord, which hath not left thee this day without a kinsman, that his name be famous in Israel. And he shall be unto thee a restorer of thy life and a nourisher of thine old age. For thy daughter-in-law, which loveth thee, which is better than thee than seven sons, hath borne him. Now, I'm going to reread this in a minute because I must have read those two verses 20 times. And I kept asking myself, who are they talking about? When they're saying the Lord's blessing you and he's bringing you this kinsman, look at it with me. This kinsman is the one who will have a famous name in Israel, verse 14. Verse 15, he will restore your life. He will be a nourisher of your old age. Uh, your daughter-in-law, which is better than seven sons, hath borne him. So if I saw verse 14, I read it and I thought, this is Boaz, the kinsman. 
He's the one that's going to care for you in your old age. He's stepping up. He's providing nourishment for you. He's the one that is this blessing. But you get to the end of verse 15, and it says, His kinsman, your, your daughter, Ruth, is, is bearing him, and it sounds like it's talking about the kid. And I kept saying, which one is it? You know, is it Boaz or is it the kid? And some of you are like, does it really matter? It does. I can't say for certain which one it is, but best I can tell, this is talking about the child that is being born, Obed. That Obed is going to be near of kin and not a kinsman redeemer in the legal sense, but he is going to be near of kin. And this Obed actually, while she will care for him when he was young, he will grow up and he will begin to care for her and nourish her and be a blessing to her and, and will just be a gift. This child that Ruth is having is going to be a gift, not just to Ruth and not just to the community, but is going to be a gift to Naomi and a blessing in her life that he will provide eventually rest and security for her. In verse 15, it says, Naomi took this child, this gift, this blessing, and she laid it in her bosom and became nurse unto it. So not a wet nurse, but this is saying that she became a nanny. Fundamentally what's happening is there is a recognition by these women that Naomi rolled into town a year ago, bitter, bent out of shape, shaking her fist at the heavens, saying, God has forgotten me, God has abused me, God is after me, and you go forward a year or so. And the woman who was broken is mended. And the woman who was empty, so empty, is filled. And the woman who was bitter now is becoming pleasant again. Why? Because God took her empty cup and he filled it up. And you need to know that God delights in filling empty cups. He's specialized in that since the beginning of time. That people who are willing to say, I am messed up and I am broken and I am empty, that he will mend and he will heal and he will fill. And he does it for this woman in a miraculous way. This is so beautiful to me. They say in verse 14, blessed be the Lord. He hasn't left you this day without a kinsman. And listen to this, this kinsman, this little boy, Obed, that his name may be famous in Israel. Verse 11, they had said, Boaz, we want your name to be famous in Bethlehem. Now in verse 14, they say, this little child is being born, Obed, we want his name to be famous in Israel. We want every Jewish person in the nation to know his name, to remember his name, and to think highly of Obed. What this is saying in verse 14 is these women are saying, Naomi, your grandbaby, God's going to retire his jersey. God's going to take his name, and he's going to hang it from the rafters. And everyone in Israel is going to know it, and they're going to remember it, and there is going to be a fame that is about your family because of the Redeemer that came. That's what they're saying. It's a beautiful picture. It's a heartwarming picture. It is a happy ending of a story to say, this is going to come. And wouldn't you know it? It sure does come. Verse number 17, they get a future. The women and her neighbors, they gave this child a name, saying, there is a son born to Naomi, and they called his name Obed. He is the father of Jesse, the father of David. Now, let me stop here for a minute. This is highly unusual. This is a really unusual event that you may just read right past. The narrator presents us with a female chorus, this group of women from the community who celebrate the birth of the child, who declare its significance, and then they're involved in the naming process. 
Typically in this day and age, in a patriarchal society, the, the, the wife, like the, the woman who birthed the child, wasn't involved in the naming process at all, much less the other women who had little to do with this. And it says that they, the neighbors, give the child a name. It says at the middle of the verse, they call his name Obed. And it's as if this child is being born to the collective and to the community. And the only other place in the entirety of the Bible that you see this outside of the Lord Jesus Christ, a child that's being born for us, the only other place you see this is what we studied in Christmas, if you were here for our Christmas series. Isaiah 9, verses 6 and 7, that unto us a child is born, and unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulders, and his name shall be called, the fourfold name, Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, of the increase of his government and peace there shall be no end, and then upon the throne of David. And it says, if this is a prototype for what is going to happen in the Isaiah 9 child, that this child is being born to the community, and they're saying, we will name him, and here are the names, and he's being given to us collectively. And it says, if in Ruth, these women say, unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and we shall call his name Obed. And it's this beautiful footprint of what is going to happen because it goes on to say that this child is Obed. He is the father of Jesse, which is the father of David. And all of a sudden, if you've been around church for any length of time, the significance of this starts to just pop off the page. Because if you know anything about King David, you know that's the most significant king in all of Israel's history. You know that David was promised that through his line would come the Messiah. This is why when you get to the New Testament and you start to read Matthew and he starts to list the genealogy that he goes out of his way to say that Jesus came via Ruth and through that line. This is why when you see that Joseph and Mary are going to Bethlehem for the census and this child, although they don't live in Bethlehem, they're going to Bethlehem, this child's going to be born in Bethlehem. Why? Mary, why not just sit it out? Be at home. You're nine months pregnant. Who wants to ride all the way from Nazareth to Bethlehem? That must have been pretty miserable, Right? God wanted that. God wanted to superintend that because he had promised that this child would come via Bethlehem, would via come the house of bread, would come for where David was from. So Jesus is born, right? The shepherds show up to the, to, or the angels show up to the shepherds. And they tell you, born this day in the city of David is a savior. All of that was prophesied and began to be very clear through the scriptures that through Bethlehem and through the line of David would come Jesus, would come the Messiah, would come the Christ, would come the Savior. And this is starting to say before that, that they began to have these hints and these indications that through your children, through Obed was going to come something really significant, that God was up to something here, right? And they received this future that although they don't understand it all at that point in time, that is going to be unbelievable and is going to live way, 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 way beyond them. And then you have the end of the, at the, end of the book, verse number 18. Now these are the generations of Perez. Perez begat Hezron. And I'm reading these slow on purpose because you'll want to buzz right past them and say, give me something more entertaining. But I'm reading them slow. Hezron begat Ram. Not Dodge Ram, just Ram is his name. Ram begat Aminadab. Aminadab begat Nashon. Nashon begat Salmon. Salmon begat Boaz. We've learned of him in the book. Boaz begat Obed. Obed begat Jesse. These names start to become more familiar if you know the Bible a little bit. And Jesse begat David. Now, how many of you, be honest, 
you're tempted to read verses 18, 19, 20, 21, 22, and just say, oh, skim, 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 skim. What's next? First Samuel, here we go, right? Doesn't it kind of feel like, I mean, you're moving and there's all these fireworks all over the page of you're going to have this kid and he's going to take care of you and his name is going to be great and God's going to hang his jersey from the rafters and all this stuff and then you end the book with like, and so here are all these names and here are all these people. It feels to us a bit anticlimactic, doesn't it? It feels like, eh, you know, couldn't you just like made a footnote or something or like somehow not put that, you know, in, in the heart of the book and it's not anticlimactic at all, at all. And really, I'm not going to take the time to walk through each of these names and the significance behind them because that would, it would take us uh, quite a bit of time. But what this is saying fundamentally is that the narrator is aware that in the providence of God, the implications from the faithfulness of Boaz and the faithfulness of Ruth are going to extend far into the future. He has a bit of perspective as he writes this book, and he says what they did when he, when he had integrity, when he was generous, when she showed up to work, when she worked hard, when they did it the right way, when they followed God's timing, when those two were faithful in just the everyday decisions of life, God is now going to take that and he is going to extend blessings and legacy far beyond what they probably would have ever imagined, particularly through Jesse and through David, the grandson. That Obed's birth signals a change in the family legacy. It signals a jog in the river, so now the river will flow directly to the Messiah, and that their faithfulness had an impact on all of this. Now, here's what you need to know. The decisions that you make today, even though they may seem trivial, going to work, playing with the toddler when you get home, planning a little family vacation, being in the Word, showing up to church, going through the faithfulness of life, you never know the impact that is going to have on you or them or your family far into the future. And what you see in the pages of Ruth chapter number four is that this Redeemer, Boaz, changed the family. It's a game changer. There was a legacy that was going to be perpetuated in that family that would not have existed except for the Redeemer. And I need you to know that if you are the recipient of a godly heritage and you have a generation or two, I have a godly heritage now. I'm a second generation, but I have, I, I have a generation before me. If you're a third generation, fourth, tenth generation, appreciate that, celebrate that, keep it going. If you're not, and I know many of you in this room, you're not, you're the first generation. God can change your family. God, God can take your little legacy and your little bit of faithfulness and your heart for him, and he can use that with your children and with your grandchildren and with your great-grandchildren. It, it thrills me to think that Liddy Bitty toddler King David would have gone to great-grandma Ruth's house for Christmas. I know they didn't have Christmas back then, I know. But you get the picture. To think that he would have been around her, that great-grandpa Boaz would have been there and involved in his life, that's beautiful. And what the narrator is trying to say is look at what God did with the Redeemer. And you need to know that when you get a Redeemer, what they got, you get. You get a family. 
Say, I don't have a great family around me. You get a family. You get to be adopted into the family of God, right? You get brothers and sisters in Jesus. You get a big old family, and you get the best father in the world. That when you know Jesus as your Redeemer, you can cry via the Spirit of God, Abba, Father. You can say that God is not just my Creator, although He always has been, but now He's my Father. You get filled. We're told that when we get a Redeemer, that we become joint heirs with Jesus, meaning everything that is Jesus is now mine, that He shares all of that with me. We're told in 1 Peter that we actually get joy unspeakable and full of glory. Why? How? Because of the Redeemer. You see that we get fame. You say, we get fame? I get fame as a Christian. Believe it or not, yes, you do. Jesus says that if you will not be embarrassed of me and you will not be ashamed of me before men, I will not be ashamed of you before anybody, including the Father. You get that? The King of the universe says, if you know me and you love me, I will name drop you in heaven to God Almighty. Like, that's important. Daniel says that those that live righteously and those that live wisely and those that want to witness for God and turn many to righteousness, that they will shine as the brightness of the firmament and as the stars forever and ever. What it's saying is God will, on a cosmic level, retire your jersey, that he will not forget That will not go unnoticed, that if you want to live for him in a wise, righteous way and witness to other people and share of his glory, that he will take notice of that. And there's a fame for you. There's a future for you. If you know the Redeemer, Jesus said very plainly when he was about to die the night before his crucifixion, that guys, there is a heaven. It is real. If it wasn't so, if it was a myth, a fairy tale, a fable, I would have told you. I would tell you if it was a hoax, but it's not. And I'm going there, and I'm going to prepare a place for you. There's many mansions there. There's opulence and there's permanence. There are many mansions, and where I go, you can go in the future too. And oh, by the way, you know how to get there. And Thomas said, Jesus, I don't know how to get there. What are you talking about, man? And Jesus said, Thomas, I'm the way. I'm the truth. I'm the life. No man comes to the Father but by me, right? What's he saying? I will be your redeemer. I will secure your future. I will give you a home in heaven. If you know the Lord Jesus, just like Boaz the redeemer, gave them all of that. We get all of that. Hey, this is Pastor Mark again, and I wanted to take a moment and just say thank you for tuning in to today's message. I hope that the message both challenged and encouraged you from the word of God. Maybe you're listening for the first time. I want you to know that we believe the most important decision you'll ever make is the decision to know Jesus in a personal, intimate way. To find out more about that, you can visit harvestbaptist.info forward slash gospel. If you live in one of the four counties that are church borders, Allegheny, Westmoreland, Armstrong, Butler, and you don't have a church home, then we would invite you to come and to worship with us and join in the gospel work that God is doing here at Harvest Baptist Church. Maybe you're a regular listener and God's laying it on your heart to support the ministry and the outreach of Harvest. Your gift would help us reach more people more effectively with the gospel message. If you'd like to partner with us for ministry in Western Pennsylvania and around the world, you can visit harvestbaptist.info forward slash give. Again, thank you for listening and we'll see you next time.